The Creep Show Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Creep Show Chronicles, the podcast where we discuss murder, the macabre, and all the spooky shit. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Now grab your weed, your wine, or some coffee, and let's get creepy. Welcome to the shit show. Um, we just recorded episode four and went a little off the rails. Alcohol abuse is when you spill some of your drink or a bottle, right? Yeah. Well, this story is about macaroni and cheese abuse. Ooh. How fucking dare you? Trigger warning. Spilled macaroni and cheese all over I-24 in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This was uh, June 20th, 2022. Macaroni and cheese were all over the interstate this past weekend. It happened early Sunday morning, um, June 19th this year, on Interstate 24 East in the Murfreesboro area. To be more precise, the incident occurred around 4.45 a.m. The call began with Rutherford Rutherford County Fire and Rescue crews being summoned to the scene of an accident involving a tractor-trailer truck at the 86-mile marker just past the interchange of Joe B. Jackson Parkway on Sunday morning. The initial call described a semi-truck that was engulfed in flames in the eastbound lane of the interstate. The truck was evidently headed towards Chattanooga. When fire crews arrived, they found a tractor-trailer that was well engulfed in flames. The fire was extinguished and there were no injuries associated with the blaze. However, it took some time to clean up the aftermath of the fire that included a large amount of macaroni and cheese that had to be removed from the roadway, some of which was overly charred. The cleanup caused for slow-moving traffic throughout Sunday morning. So, RIP to that mac and cheese. On today's episode, we are talking about the Bell Witch. <gasps> Widely considered by ghost hunters and paranormal investigators as America's most haunted location, the story of the Bell Witch family dates back to 1804. John Bell moved his wife, Lucy, and their children from North Carolina to Robertson County, Tennessee, where he purchased 320 acres of farmland along the Red River. The family lived a peaceful life for 13 years, but in the summer of 1817, the family would experience things that would change their lives forever. The legend of the Bell Witch centers on the John Bell family of Red River, Tennessee, now Adams, and the spiritual haunting they endured between 1817 and 1821. Unlike many films and ghost stories, the early 1800s, Tennessee, the early 1800s, Tennessee haunting involved with uh, real people and places. So no one has yet to solve it or even come close. These distinctions led Dr. Nandor Fodor, a noted lawyer turned parapsychologist, to call the legend. Fun fact, I have a degree in parapsychology, but it doesn't mean anything because it was from an uncredited school. Yay me, all that studying for nothing. Yeah, what the fuck? They even sent you, like, books and everything. Uh I have a, technically, I have a degree in parapsychology. I was, like, fighting, so I'm like, hey, baby, let me borrow that book. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Coming over. <laughs> Can't use my degree, though, but, you know, hey, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of crap, man. Um, so, they, he called the legend uh, America's Greatest Ghost Story. So, fast forward 200 years, and the Bell Witch legend is still making waves. There are numerous Bell Witch books, several Bell Witch movies, and documentaries. And there are, and there always seem to be, se- or, whoops, and there are always several more in the works, quote-unquote. Regardless of whether the case's origin was spiritual or human, it remains an epic, classic American haunting. 
and a whodunit mystery like no other. Yeah. So in the early 1800s, John Bell moved his family from North Carolina to the Red River bottomland in Robertson County, Tennessee, settling in the Red River community, which later became present-day Adams, Tennessee. Bell purchased some land and a large house for his family, and over the next several years, he acquired more land, increasing his holdings to 328 acres. He cleared a number of fields for planting. He also became an elder of the Red River Baptist Church, and John and his wife, Lucy Bell, had three more children after moving to Tennessee. The Bells had a very happy, successful early life at the Red River Settlement. One day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, Bell shot several times. The animal vanished, and whoops, the animal vanished, this was the first documented manifestation of the entity. Bell thought nothing more of the incident, at least not until after dinner. That evening, the family began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log home. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedpost. Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. As time went on, the Bells began hearing faint, whispering voices, which, too weak, which were too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. The encounters escalated, and the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances about which John Bell had vowed his family to secret finally escalated to the point that he shares his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Skeptical at first, Johnston and his wife spent the night at the Bell home, Things began peacefully, but once they retired for the evening, they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. After their bed covers were yanked off, uh, after their bed covers were yanked off and James was slapped, he sprang out of bed, exclaiming, "In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want?" The entity did not respond. The rest of the night was peaceful. The next morning, Mr. Johnston explained to the Bells that the culprit was likely an evil spirit, the kind that the Bible talks about. The entity's voice strengthened over time and became loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversations, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Words of the supernatural phenomena soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville, where the then Major General Andrew Jackson became interested in the so-called Bell Witch. John Bell Jr., along with his brothers, Drewy Bell and Jesse Bell, had fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. A few years later, in 1819, Jackson heard about the disturbances at the Bell home and decided to pay a visit and investigate. As Jackson's entourage, consisting of several men, well-groomed horses, and a large wagon, approached the Bell property, the wagon jolted to a sudden stop. It had become stuck in a muddy creek, and the horses were unable to pull it. At least that's what the men thought. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson proclaimed, 
by the eternal boys that must be the bell witch. Then suddenly, a disembodied, vo- uh, a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property, up the lane, and into the bell home. That evening, Jackson told the old war stories while his entourage set up their tents in John and Lucy's yard. One of the men claimed to be a witch tamer. After several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any spirit. <laughs> Literally supernatural. It's silver. I know, right? <laughs> it's All right, where's the Winchesters? It's the Colt. Um, after several uneventful hours, he pulled out a shiny pistol and proclaimed that its silver bullet would kill any evil spirit that came into contact with it. It's literally the cult. <laughs> he went on to say that the reason... Is this uh, Sam and Dean's, like, ancestor? Yeah. <laughs> is this Samuel Colt? <laughs> God. It's just probably just them, but with just, like, more fancier beards, you know? <laughs> He went on to say that the reason nothing happened to them was because whatever had been haunting the bells was scared of his silver bullet. Immediately, the man screamed and began jerking his body in different directions, complaining that he was being stuck with pins and beaten severely. A strong, swift kick to the man's ass from an invisible foot sent him him onto the floor. Angry, the entity spoke up and announced that there was yet another fraud in Jackson's party and that she would identify him the following evening. Now terrified, Jackson's men began to leave or yeah. Now terrified, Jackson's men begged to leave the bell farm. Jackson insisted on staying. He wanted to know who the other fraud was. The men eventually went outside to sleep in their tents while con- uh, continuously begging Jackson to leave. What happened next is not clear, but Jackson and his entourage were spotted in nearby Springfield, Tennessee, early the next morning. Going back to Nashville, some algae some algae. Some alleged that Jackson later proclaimed, quote, I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bow Witch. Yeah. 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 The disturbances decreased after Betsy and Joshua's engagement ended, but the entity continued to express disdain for John Bell, relentlessly vowing to kill him. Bell had been experiencing episodes of twitching in his face and difficulty swallowing for almost a year, and the malady grew uh, worse within time. By the fall of 1820, his declining health had confined him to the house where the malicious entity continuously removed his shoes when he tried to walk, slapped his face when he recovered from his numerous seizures. Her shrill voice was heard all over the farm, cursing and chastising Old Jack Bell, the nickname she had given him. John Bell breathed his last breath on the morning of December 20th, 1820, after slipping into a coma a day earlier. Immediately after his death, his family found a vial of strange black liquid in the cupboard. John Jr. sprinkled two drops on the cat's tongue, which, what the fuck? Why? The cat jumped into the air, rolled over in midair, and was dead when it hit the floor. You bastards. I know, right? Why would you do that? I am so tired. Like, these fucking assholes. Mm Mm-hmm. Being mean to these animals. I'm gonna fucking... The uh, the entity then exclaimed, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Jr. tossed the mysterious vial into the fireplace. It burst into a bright blue flame and shot up the chimney. John Bell's funeral was one of the largest ever held in Robertson County. People attended from miles away, and three preachers, two Methodists and one Baptist, uh, eulogized him. 
As the crowd of mourners began leaving the graveyard, the Bell Witch entity laughed and sang a song about a bottle of brandy. Her fervent singing didn't stop until the last mourner had left the graveyard. The entity's presence was almost non-existent after John Bell's demise, as though it had fulfilled its purpose. Over time, Betsy Bell became interested... Okay, so we're kind of bouncing around here. I'm sorry, I fucked up on my uh, research. But uh, So Betsy had become interested in Joshua Gardner, a young man who lived nearby. With the blessings of their parents, they decided to marry. Everybody was happy about their engagement, except, you know, the evil, mysterious entity who became furious and repeatedly ordered Betsy not to marry Joshua. So, Betsy and Joshua's former school teacher, Professor Richard Powell, had been noticeably interested in Betsy for some time and has exp- had expressed interest in marrying her when she became older, which is disgusting. Um, <laughs> predator. By some accounts, by some accounts, Powell, who was 11 years Betsy's senior, was a student of the occult uh, ventriloquism, a mathematical genius, and well-versed in horticulture and ge- uh, geology. Geology. He was secretly married to a woman in nearby Nashville, Esther Scott, and during the time that he lived and taught school at Red River, and perceived as a happy-go-lucky bachelor, and expressed his unwavering fondness for Betsy, according to early accounts, Powell politely expressed his disappointment with Betsy's engagement to Joshua and wished her a long and prosperous marriage. Betsy and Joshua could not go to the river, the fields, or cave to play without the entity nagging them. The constant pressure was more than Betsy could handle, and on Easter morning, 1821, she met Joshua at the river and broke off the engagement. In April... In April of uh, in April of eighteen twenty one, shortly after Betsy had broken off her engagement, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy Bell, and told her that it was leaving but would return in seven years. Ah. Uh huh. Like I'll be there. The uh, the publications, uh, the New England Farmer of Boston and the Green Mountain Freeman of Vermont, in January and February eighteen fifty six published an article regarding the Bell Witch legend, and the publications uh, ascribed the origin of the text to the Saturday Evening Post. The Farmer was a weekly agricultural journal, and the Freeman was affiliated with the Abolitionist Liberty Party. The unidentified author described the apparition of the Tennessee ghost, or the Bell Witch, and stated the event occurred 30 years or more from the time the article was written. There are three human characters in the account, Mr. Bell, his daughter Betsy, and her ex-fiancé Joshua. The author stated that the voice which spoke freely about the house from all directions would not manifest itself until the lights were extinguished at night. The phenomenon attracted wide interest. The author claimed to have become well acquainted with Mr. Gardner. While or when the ghost was asked how long it would remain, it replied, until Joshua Gardner and Betsy Bell got married. The author goes on to state that Betsy Bell had fallen in love with Joshua Gardner, blah, 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 blah. We already know what happened there. Okay, so, quote, okay, so this is um, M.V. Ingram, his uh, authenticated history of the Bell Witch, who wrote that a Saturday Evening Post article regarding the Bell Witch had been retracted, quote, About 1849, the Saturday Evening Post, published either in Philadelphia or New York, printed a long sketch of the Bell Witch phenomenon, written by a reporter who made a strenuous effort in the details to connect with her 
uh, with her with the authorship and the demonstrators. Mrs. Powell was so outraged by the publication that she engaged a lawyer to institute suit for libel. The matter, however, was settled without litigation, the paper retracting the charges, explaining how this version of the story had gained credence, and the fact that at the time the demonstrators commenced, Betty Bell had secretly, uh, secretly, Betty Bell had scarcely advanced from the stage of childhood and was too young to have been capable of originating and practicing so great a deception. Now, um, they said that they did uh, a sketch of what the Bell Witch looked like. So the entity returned in 1928 as promised. Most of the return visit centered on John Bell Jr., with whom the entity discussed the origin of life, civilization, Christianity, and the need for a major spiritual reawakening. Of particular significance were its predictions of the Civil War and major events, some of which she missed. The entity bade farewell after three weeks, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. The year would be 1935, and the closest living direct descendant at the time was Nashville physician Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, a neurologist and John Bell Sr.'s great-grandson. In 1934, Dr. Bell published a book about the Bell Witch, uh, likely to raise awareness of the spirit's impending return. The book contains the first-ever account of the alleged conferences between the entity and John Bell Jr. in 1828. The author's father, Dr. Joel Thomas Bell, had allegedly taken notes during the conferences and upon his death passed them down to him. So he didn't post any like follow-ups to his book and he died in 1945 and is buried in uh, Adams, Tennessee. But speaking of Tennessee, on April 24th, uh, 1880, an article was published regarding a haunted house in Springfield, Tennessee, where knocking underneath the floor was heard. The fourth night of knocking began at 10.30 p.m. and ended at 4 a.m. With the home surrounded by 10 to 12 people working in an effort to discover the origin of the sound, in a follow-up report from April 26, 1880, the writer reported that several hundred people had visited the home attempting to witness the phenomenon with many camped out overnight despite the, ho uh, the homeowners asking them to leave. On Wednesday night, April 28, 1880, the family were reported to have left the home for the night, and a smaller group of investigators around the home heard knocking from 50 yards away. During the events, the, the, general, the, yeah. the journalist took the opportunity to mention the Bell Witch legend. It is an actual fact that several hundred intelligent people of Springfield and vicinity have been so excited over the noise as to go night after night to listen to it. About 30 years ago, Robertson County had a sensation similar to this known as the Bell Witch, and, became, and people came from all parts of the country, even as far as New York, to hear or see her. The Springfield floor knocking occurred at the residence of John Knuckles, a prominent uh, physician. Knuckles was recently married to Laura Hopkins Jones, a union opposed by her family. The phenomenon created a domestic distur disturbance between the couple as a local carpenter, Gil Walling, accused Laura Knuckles of creating the noise with an iron ball attached to a rubber belt hidden under her clothes, which is similar, if you guys remember from the 100th episode, the um, the Fox sisters. It's so similar mm. what they were doing, but they were using the apple. So they came to the conclusion that the wife was trying uh, tying it to the bottom of her skirt to make the sounds. Nobody ever proved it, though. And the couple separated on in May 1880. 
That August, John Knuckles retrieved his infant child from his wife, running through town with his estranged wife following in, in anguish. Afterward, the child was returned to Laura Knuckles, who was living with her father, uh, Aza, Asia, Aza Hopkins. John Knuckles, in February 1882, confronted Laura's father over his desire to see the child and threatened his father-in-law's life. During the argument, the subject of ghosts between the men was reported by an eyewitness as Knuckles attempted to shoot Hopkins, but was restrained. The next day, as a result of the confrontation, Knuckles' brother-in-law, S.B. Hopkins, traveled from Nashville and shot John Knuckles with a double-barrel shotgun, causing his death. The circumstances of the shooting were contested, and S.B. Hopkins was acquitted of murder. The journal studies in uh, philology... That's weird. The Journal Studies in Philology in 1919 published a study of witchcraft in North Carolina by folklorist Tom Pete Cross. Cross cites a column from the Nashville Banner where it mentions the paper had sent a reporter to Robertson County in the 1880s and John C. Cook to investigate reports of the possible reemergence of the Bell Witch phenomenon. The week of January 20th, 1890, hundreds of people were reported to have visited a house 2.5 miles east of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as word spread of coal mysteriously following, following, falling from the ceiling in the family room. The house was occupied by a prominent minister of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, W.G.L. Quite, 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 sure. His wife, stepdaughter, and Belle Hall as well as an unnamed 16-year-old female servant. Mr. Quate was injured was injured as a piece struck her sorry, Mrs. Quate was injured as a piece uh, struck her on top of her head and she required medical attention. An earlier report suggested the servant girl as a potential suspect. While stating the superstitious were invoking a connection to the Bell Witches of Robertson County from decades earlier. The frequency of the coal drops declined by the end of the week, and Reverend Quate uh, attributed supernatural agency to the activity and was praying in the evening in an effort to solve the mystery. Nashville, uh, Nashville death notice for Joel Egbert Bell. Bell was the youngest and last surviving child of John and Lucy. An article was published on February 3, 1890, describing a series of events from Adams Station, Tennessee. At dusk, January 27, 1890, Mr. Holloway reported watching two unknown women arrive at his home and dismount from their horses as he was feeding cattle. When he arrived at the house, the horses and the women were gone. Mr. Holloway's wife reported seeing the women in the yard as well. That week, Mr. Rowland attempted to place a sack of corn on his horse's back and it fell off. He again attempted to place a sack of corn on the horse's back several more times, but each time the sack fell off. Joe Johnson arrived and held onto the sack as Mr. Rowland mounted his horse. They witnessed the sack floating away for 20 yards where it settled down at the fence. When the men went to retrieve the sack, a voice was heard, You won't touch this sack anymore. Uh, hell. A follow-up report was published on February 18, 1890 with the title, A Weird Witch. More tales of the Mahatanish. More tales of a Mohatnish uh, flavor from Adam Station. In the 19th century, Joseph Mohatton, oh yeah, Joseph Mohatton was a known hoaxer of newspaper articles. The article was republished a few days later with the subtitle, More Tales of a Fishy Flavor. 
Um, in account in the account, the entity was referred to only as the witch. The article reports that Mr. Mr. Johnson was visiting Bucksmith and was discussing a recent visit, visitation of the ghost at his home. They heard a knocking at the door, and when they opened the door, the knocking began at another door. They sat down, and the dog began to fight with something invisible. Two minutes later, the door flew open, and fire spread across the room, blown by a cyclonic wind, with the coals disappearing as they tried to put it out. That evening, Mr. Johnson started home on his horse, and something jumped on the back, grabbing his shoulder as he tried to restrain the horse. He felt, he felt it jump off as he neared his home and move in the leaves into the woods. Oh, yay. So, let's go back to John Bell's death, okay? Mm. So, how did John Bell actually die? So, it was thought that he died of poisoning. However, according to Austin P. Uh, Pay, Austin Pay State University, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, whatever, Austin Pay uh, University, Dr. Megan Mann, an assistant professor of crim- bleh, an assistant professor of chemistry, talked about her research and subsequent theories on the Bell Witch during a science on tap event held in Clarksville in October 2021. So, quote, at the bottom of that story is really a poisoning. John Bell was supposedly poisoned to death, she said. In an effort to learn more, she dove into the written account of the haunting. Our Family Trouble, the story of the Bell Witch of Tennessee by Richard Williams Bell, John Bell's son. His son talked about all these strange medical symptoms he was having, and a lot of them sounded very neurological to me, as someone who knows a bit about things like biochemistry and toxicology, Mann said. Quote, he would have trouble swallowing, and his tongue felt weird. He would start getting this weird twitching sensation in his face, and eventually it grew to the point where it was kind of impacting him in other parts of his body, and if that happened to someone now and you went to your doctor, they would send you to a neurologist. So she said, I'm hoping that people can see this old and magical case through news and scientific eyes in prepared statements ahead of an interview with the Leaf Chronicle, she said. So ancient and modern folklore suggests the Bell Witch poisoned the family's patriarch, John Bell, something man's research can explain through science. Mann began researching the Bell Witch in 2008 and appeared in the uh, debut of a- A&E's new American documentary drama and paranormal investigative series, Cursed, the Bell Witch. The five-part show premiered on October in October of 2015 and was filmed on location in Adams, Tennessee. She became interested in the legend shortly after moving to Robertson County when she spotted the Bell Witch cave sign on Interstate 24's Exit 11. Um, I didn't know what it was, so I was curious, and that's when I started looking into it, Mann said, noting that one of the biggest draws to the tale is its believability. Quote, it has some, it has some level of truth behind it, which is unusual for a ghost story. We know that John Bell and his family were real people. There are records that these people lived here in this area, and so that kind of sets it apart from a lot of other legends in a way it's kind of fun, I think, she said. Uh, Even if John Bell's medical ailments could be explained, the fantastical events are less easily understood. We have no way to authenticate them one way or the other, Mann said. Like, his shoes would go flying off, and they they couldn't, couldn't be kept on his feet, and he felt like he was being smacked in the night. We can't make heads or tails of that. In the book, Richard Bell goes into detail about his father's final days. 
One morning, they couldn't get him up, the man said, adding that family, family members discovered a smoky-looking vial of dark, full, sorry, smoky-looking vial full of a dark-colored liquid after John Bell fell into the coma. And that could be anything. Um, I mean, it could be coffee, right, man said. But legend says the witch who could speak claimed the liquid was a poison she had given him the night before with the intention to kill him something she had been threatening to do for some time. Hearing this, the family decided to give the liquid to a cat to see if it really was a poison and the cat died. We already, we already, already lived through that. <laughs> so the family decided to destroy the poison by throwing it into the fire and ignited the blue flame. But a blue-colored flame isn't all that strange, man argued. Neither are the neurological symptoms that John Bell faced. If you look at these neurological symptoms, oftentimes they are caused by heavy metal poisoning. Looking back to 1817, when the haunting began, man discovered about 50 known elements, 10 of which could cause the blue flame the family observed. This led to her investigate this led her to investigate arsenic and lead as possible poison. Lead was quickly debunked because John Bell could quickly recover from his symptoms. The heavy metal also remains in the body for a long period of time, continually building on itself. It just didn't add up. The arsenic did. It's a solution that can be explained in the death of a cat as well, man said. Cats lack a certain type of metabolism known as glucuronic acid conjugation, leading man to believe the chemical used to poison John was metabolized through that pathway. Arsenic is metabolized through the glucuronic acid conjugation, well, um, allowing the body to quickly recover from small doses. It can be fatal in doses as small as 0.3 grams, which much less than lead's lethal dose, lethal dose of 21 grams. At the time, arsenic was widely available. It could be found in nearly every barn, and as it was commonly used as a rodent side to keep mice and rat populations down around the farms. Arsenic poisoning was also aligned with many other details in the story, including the blue fame and John Bell's facial and muscle twitching, man said. And when you combine all of those together, those details that Richard Williams Bell wrote about make some sense, or make sense, she said. This less paranormal stuff points to a very logical and common poisoning of that time and era. Man believes John, Bl Bl Man believes John Bell was a victim of long-term arsenic poisoning. She believes he received small doses. Doises? Doises! <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's great. Oh, shit. She believes he received small doses of the poison over the course of about three years after the symptoms first occurred and a large fatal dose on the night before he died. We know that back then arsenic poison be poisoning became such an issue that many places in the United States and Europe where it was happening a lot were actually making laws specifically to punish people who were accused and found guilty of poisoning people with arsenic, which I fucking hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was such a big thing that they had to make a law for it. As for as for as for who could have done the poisoning, man said it. Could, it would be purely speculative. It could have been anybody. She said. Yeah. The Bell family was considered a wealthy family in the early 1800s. They had a number of enslaved people on this farm, and historical records from that time show enslaved people poisoning their enslavers quite often. Uh, man said. Historical evidence also shows abused wives poisoning their husbands. Quote, it could have been someone that didn't like them from the church. 
she said, illustrating how difficult, how difficult it would have been to figure out who may have actually poisoned John. Like any folklore and legend, every time it gets retold, it gets changed more and more and more, become more crazy and more fantastical. Just like the Bible. So, did the Bell Witch, did the Bell Witch return in 1935 as promised? Some say that she did not return, or that if she did, they were not aware of it. But many say that she never left the place to begin with. The entity that tormented the Bell family and the Red River settlement almost 200 years ago is blamed for uh, the unexplainable manifestations that occurred near the old Bell farm today. The faint sounds of people talking and children playing can sometimes be heard in the area, and it's not uncommon to see candlelights dance through the dark fields late at night. Photography is especially difficult. Some pictures taken in the area show mist, orbs of light, and other phenomena, including human-like figures who were not present when the pictures were taken. Could this, can this phenomena be related to the haunting of John Bell's family? The cause of the Bell's family torment 200 years ago, along with today's continued phenomena in the area, although to a lesser extent, remain a mystery. Numerous theories have been put forth, but all have been debunked. However, most researchers agree that something had to have caused all the incidents at Red River in the early 1800s that gave rise to the Bell Witch legend as we know it today. And that is the Bell Witch. Holy shit. Yeah. If you'd like to follow us on social media, check out our link tree, which is at The Creep Show Chronicles. You can also find all of our listening platforms there as well. For future recommendations, you can email us at thecreepshow18 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye.